people really, authors really don't get successful by writing about safe things. They, they, they take chances. Uh, you know, um, you know, you could write a story about a guy who sells Bibles door to door and, and, you know, he's all good, but there's no, like you said, no conflict there. There's no, you know, uh, yes, it's a good wholesome story, but it's not a story people want to read. People want to read about conflict. They want to read about uh, your, your protagonist getting into a situation that they can't quite figure out how to get out of, you know, there's all that kind of stuff. If you don't take chances and, and, sometimes make your reader a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, it kind of pays off to make the reader a little bit uncomfortable. If you don't do that, then odds are the reader's going to be like, I've, I've read this before. I know how it's going to end. Why do I need to go to the end of the book? So yeah. that was, that was kind of my approach to it all. Hello there, my fellow sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. Today, I have author Benny Sims on the podcast. Last week, I virtually jumped over the border and headed to Las Vegas. And today, I'm heading to Alabama. Benny has always liked storytelling. He can trace that fondness to reading Jack London's The Call of the Wild. This was when he was in second grade. And also listening to his great uncle tell war stories from his time as an artillery cannoneer in North Africa and Italy during World War II. Benny was born and grew up in Middle Tennessee, but his family moved to Benton, Illinois. It was there that his teachers noticed his aptitude for writing and encouraged him to pursue it. He attended college at Murray, Murray, I hope I'm saying that right, Murray State University in Kentucky, where he studied journalism. After college, he landed a job as sports writer and editor with a small newspaper near his hometown in Tennessee. And after a couple of years, he accepted a job with the aerospace industry. He is recently retired. Benny, welcome to JCV Art Studio, the dressing room here. Thank you, Joanna. I appreciate that. And and by the way, you said it correctly. It is Murray State University. So kudos to you. Oh, good, 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 good. (laughs) So before we discuss your book, Code Gray, I was wondering... What was it that you did in the aerospace industry, or is that top secret? <laughs> uh, well, have you ever heard the old saying, you know, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that doesn't apply here. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> uh, this is a, my job was so boring, shall we say, that if I tell you, you will, will want to kill me before I'm through. So, uh, <laughs> I, I worked for, uh, it, it was a, uh, an aerospace company that made windshields, windows for airplanes and helicopters. Uh, we made uh, the windshields for uh, the President's Air Force One, um, uh, military helicopters. Uh, it, we were the world's largest facility for doing that. 
And um, I worked there for nearly 34 years. Wow. Um, the first uh, the first 21 or 22 years, I was just a regular worker on the floor making airplane windows. And then the last 10 plus years, um, I, I moved into quality assurance, oh, wow. basically going from uh, going from a, a job on the production floor to a, a desk job. Yeah. Uh, and and then I worked there for uh, a you know, a decade or so, and then I, I retired uh, a year and a half ago. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, this year is going to be my last year working for the provincial government because I got things I want to do. <laughs> okay. I, I totally get it. Absolutely. And good yeah. for you. Thank good you. for you. Thank you. Now, your book. We have to talk about the prologue. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Thank you for sending in questions when I had editor Jennifer Kudura on the podcast. Right. I watched your YouTube reading of your prologue, and I remember I was I was working on something, and I was it had I had it on my phone, and I was listening as you were reading your prologue, and then I'm I'm working and I'm listening, and then at one point I just I stopped, and I watched. And it is a good prologue, okay? And Thank just, you. I was captivated and um, playing devil's advocate here, having, I'm, I'm three quarters of the way through, Benny, three quarters of the way through your book, okay? So having, okay. Read, <laughs> having read your book, I'm wondering, do you, th now I can't say what the editors thought, but I'm thinking, okay, why did they, why would they not, why was it not included? And the only thing I could think of was, did they, was, did someone think maybe it was backstory showing what your character had gone through and that it didn't move the story forward? What do you think? Were you ever given um, a reasons why the prologue wasn't included? Uh, yes, we, uh, it was a mutual decision. Between okay. uh, my editor uh, Heather Stewart and, and myself, uh, she uh, threw that out there to me and said, by saying, uh, "Look, this prologue, while it is interesting and is it's, it's got a lot of action to it, yeah, um, uh, and it does set up the story for later on in the book. Yeah. The things that occur in the prologue actually are reiterated later on in the book. Okay. So there's nothing." So there's nothing uh, in the prologue that that doesn't uh, get mentioned later on in the book. Um, so uh, that was one reason that, that she suggested. And she said it was totally up to me. Yeah. That was one reason. But another reason she uh, uh, she suggested uh, is because it was a little bit confusing. Uh, if you remember in the prologue, I didn't mention uh, who the person's name. Yes. Right. I just said he did this. He did that. He came home and found his his wife. OK. Yeah. yeah. And it was confusing because in my book, the protagonist and the antagonist had similar things happen. Oh. They, they, they had their families killed. And this is kind of spoilerish for people who haven't read my book. Yeah. Uh, but they had their families killed in a home invasion. Both of them did. And in the in the prologue, yeah, everybody thought that that was my 
my protagonist, my main character, but yeah. it was actually the assassin. <gasps> if you, oh. yeah, if if you look back at it, it's uh, you know he goes in and he's calling for his wife and his son. His wife's name was he's yelling out her name Laura. Yeah, and his son's name is Zach. Well, my main character, uh, Bodie Anderson, who's yeah. the FBI agent, the the uh, protagonist. Uh, his wife's name is Melissa, oh, right. and his son's name is Adam, and 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 hardly anybody picked up on that, and that's why she. That's another reason why Heather suggested. You know what? It can be confusing. And I thought, you know what? Uh, after I pitched a little fit to myself, and <laughs> and you know, like, that was four. That was that was four whole pages of writing. Oh my gosh! You know how long it took me to write that. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought about what she said, and she was right. She yeah. was 100% correct. It actually made the story flow a little okay. bit better because it jumps, chapter one jumps right into the the current events that happened through, you know, in the main part of the book. Um, so we left it out, and uh, I think it, the story flows better because okay. of it. Uh, it was painful. I, yeah. I will admit it was very <laughs> painful, but... I think it is for the the overall good of the book. I think it was best to be left out. That is so cool. Knowing what I've read so far. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm going to be up tonight finishing it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. <good>. It's <laughs> it is really good and I'm really enjoying it. And uh, you know, and I I've, I've been talking to my friends in Canada about it. You know, my, I have my author friends. I've Yeah talked to my sister Susan she's an author and we were discussing prologues and and I had I was talking to her about your book and I said I'm, I'm curious to find yeah. out why it wasn't included and she thought maybe it was a like a thing to do with seasons you know like for a while there we didn't see prologues and then we start seeing them again so that's really good I'm just, I'm thinking of my own book. Sorry. I'm thinking of it and I'm thinking yeah. I have a prologue and I'm just like, okay, mm, we'll have to check that. Right. Well, uh, I, you probably remember, you know, uh, the time when uh, agents and, and publishers would, if they saw a prologue, they would just discard the book. They didn't even want to have anything to do with it. Okay. Uh, I've always liked prologues. Yeah. I've always liked them. If, if they, uh, tell a good backstory. Yeah. Uh, now there are some people who write prologues that are not actually prologues. They they will take something, some action that ha happens later in the book, like yeah. uh, halfway through the book, and they'll put it in a prologue. Okay. And then the story builds up to that point, and then all of a sudden you've got the the, the prologue being repeated yeah. again in chapter you know, thirty or something like that. Um, yeah. And I can understand why an agent or a publisher wouldn't want to see that, that yeah. type of prologue. But if it tells a good backstory, yeah, uh, I think they add, they can add to the story, but you know, it's a, I, I, you talk about this seasons, uh, yeah. you know, what is the uh, current hot way of writing? Yeah. You know um, I think that that does come into play here. Uh, okay. You know, uh, for a long time, editors agents all they wanted to read were vampire stories <laughs> you know that was kind of a hot thing you know and then it was the uh post-apocalyptic you know uh uh hunger games type books that's you know yeah. middle middle grade books that's all they wanted 
Um, and anything else, well, that's they didn't want anything else like what you and I write, the crime thrillers and things yeah. like that, because they weren't hot at the time. So yeah. um, I think a lot of times editors and, and, and agents and publishers, they just kind of, uh, they go whichever way the wind's blowing yeah. at the time. Yeah, that's, that's a good uh, way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so how about we give our listeners, if you could give our listeners a summary of what Code Gray is all about? Well, not all about, okay. but give us an idea. Uh, you know that the the most feared words of that any author ever hears is "Tell us about your story." Uh, you know, <laughs> we we can we can write a book, we can write a story, but then when you got to tell somebody about it, all of a sudden yeah. we get yep. brain locked. Yeah. Um, but uh, Code Gray is is uh, it, it takes place in the United States um, in the weeks preceding a presidential election. Yeah. Um, and in those weeks, uh, members of the political media, uh, like pundits, uh, uh, political authors, people with uh, uh, talk shows on radio, they are getting murdered about once, you know, some uh, every few days, one of them gets murdered. And um, the story involves FBI agent uh, Bodie Anderson. Who is a very flawed character? He uh, he has a very tragic backstory, like we, we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, his job is to find out who's killing these people. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and then of course it's got your typical you know car chases, cat and mouse, you know investigative type things. You know you you've got fights, you've got shootouts, you've got all kinds of things. Uh, and uh, you know there's uh, three or four twists along the way. And so it's basically the story of Bodhi trying to solve this mystery of who's killing uh, the, these uh, these uh, members of the media. And he needs to get it done before the election yeah. because kind of the, 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 the future of the country kind of hangs in the balance. So. Well, there are, there are a lot of, I call them little gems, where you have the assassin who's super fit. And he's doing the push-ups and he's yeah. <laughs> doing all the crunches. And then Bodhi comes home and Bodhi's like, like, I'm going to get fit. And Bodhi starts doing the push-ups. Right. And I liked, <laughs> I really liked, <clears throat> sorry. I liked the parallel of the two. Right. Yeah. Bodhi's a little right. older, but you know, but it, yeah. it was neat. Yeah. It was neat. Um, now, as I wrote these questions, and I'm reading your book. I kept telling myself, I thought, okay, Joe, you're a Canadian. You're talking to an American about his very intriguing <laughs> thriller <laughs> with political overtones, which we have thought have been the most tumultuous years in American politics. And I just thought, yeah, okay. I thought, Joe, buckle up, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. So right. what I'm wondering is, what made you decide? Like, was there any sort of incident? Was well, I'm curious to find out what was your what if that made you want to write Code Gray? That is a good question. Uh, believe it or not, I started writing this book in 2005. Really? And yes, it took me it took me nine years to finish this book. You know, uh, life life got in the way, yeah. and you know, work. And, you know, just as happens to all of us. 
Uh, but I started writing it in 2005 and the spark that, that put the what if in my, in my mind and made me start thinking about it was if you remember the, uh, the uh, United States presidential election in 2004 was uh, George Bush, yeah. who was the incumbent uh, against John Kerry, yes. uh, the Democratic nominee. And then there was a group of people who were Vietnam veterans. John Kerry was a Vietnam veteran. Okay, he was a swift boat captain. These group of veterans came up with a, a group called Swift Boat Veterans for Truth. And they started claiming that John Kerry didn't earn the, the medals that he had earned. And he was a, a they, and they basically just uh, started a smear campaign all to, you know, make sure that he didn't win the election. And the what if in my mind was what kind of links will people go to to make sure that the election turns out the way they want it to? And that and that started in 2004. So I finally just turned it over in my mind for a while. And then in early 2005, I, I started writing it. Uh, and like I said, it took me nine years to, to finish. I finished in 2014. Yeah, that was that was the the uh, spark for it. So, did you ever, let's say, during the last four years, see what's going on, and sometimes think life is imitating my book? <laughs> okay, like not yeah. in terms of <laughs> violence, but in terms, whoa, yeah, there's been, yeah, Capitol Hill, yeah, I can't mm-hmm. say there hasn't been mm-hmm. violence, but. Did you ever think like, oh, my God? Well, I think, I, you know, I started telling all my friends that I needed to start, you know, uh, buying lottery tickets and <laughs> things like that, because I can predict the future. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I guess uh, I pay a lot of attention to what's going on in the world, or at least I try to. My background is in journalism. So, yeah. you know, as journalists, we're kind of trained to just, you know, pay attention and 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 uh you know get all the facts and 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 just be inquisitive yeah basically uh and i noticed even before 2004 2005 i mean the the political climate in in this country has oh is 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 toxic okay um and and uh but in the last four years it was like wow man my book's coming out at the right time yeah you know it's 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 really bad it's yeah. really bad. So, okay. uh, I, you know, in the book, I, I try not to take any sides yeah. one way or the other, you know, uh, yeah. regardless of your anybody's political leanings. I, I, I try to make a story that's going to appeal to everybody. Yeah. Uh, so but I, it is kind of strange how. How true life is imitating art yeah. now, you know, so well, it's, it's scary and well, I was reading it and I'm just like, whoa, whoa, you know, and yeah. So, okay. Um, thank you. We kind of, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but I was, yeah, I didn't realize you had written it originally in 2005. So, wow. Yeah, yeah okay. that's when it started, right. Okay. So how have you, how's the feedback been with, uh, with, with your, your friends, your fellow authors, with readers? Um. Some of my early beta readers, uh, my next door neighbor, uh, when I was was writing the book, uh, she was the basically the second person to read the book besides my wife. Uh, 
and and she loved it. She loved it. But she said, this book has some politics. You think you're going to turn some people off? I said, well, I'm not taking sides on it. I'm just telling what I think is the best story. Uh, But as far as feedback, I mean, I, I have friends and family that are on each end of the political spectrum. Yeah. Uh, and in the middle. And and so far, uh, granted, they are my friends and family, but so far they've been extremely positive about the story. Um, any of the reviews that, that have been left, say, on Amazon or Goodreads, they've been very positive. I haven't really heard anything negative at all about my story. Uh, I, you know, that now we get finished with this interview and I may look at some reviews and somebody may be slamming me. You know, but uh, as of as of now, I haven't really seen anything negative about it, which makes me feel pretty good. Well, I'm making a note to myself. I want to leave a review because I'm I'm having a good time reading it, and it's it's oh well, thank you. It's eye opening, you know. So yeah, good yeah. good job. Yeah. Now, thank you, thank you. Pandemoon Publishing was that the first publisher that you submitted submitted to? I. Just had Elgin Williams on. And from what I'm kind of researching and looking on the internet, it looks like a really good group to be with. Like they see, they look very supportive. So were they the, the first publishers you published it to? Did you, did it get, re, did your story get rejected at all? Or how, how what was its path? <laughs> it was, uh, Panda Moon was, uh, I considered them to be basically my last opportunity. Okay. Uh, code, code gray. I, I submitted to agents, uh, editors and publishers, uh, over the years since 2014. And it, it collected 146 rejections. Uh, I, and, and, um, uh, I actually was able to get Panda Moon's attention through Twitter. They have these, uh, pit parties on Twitter. Uh, and there's this, uh, a pitch party called, uh, pit to pub and you know a pitch party for those who don't know uh you you tweet about your book with the hashtag or whatever the name of the pitch party is you know sometimes it's hit mad but this was called pit to pub um uh you, you leave that hashtag uh, in your description and then if an editor uh does a clicks a like on your tweet that means they want to see the manuscript yeah and and so i was at work the day of the pitch party and i totally forgot about putting a tweet out there and it was only supposed to last eight hours Uh, and it was it it ended at about um i think around 8 p.m i live in the central time zone uh it ended about 8 p.m uh in in the central zone and uh i i I saw an, an an editor on uh, on Twitter, uh, who said that she was looking for a particular crime thriller, blah, blah, blah. And I, I thought, well, I'm already past the time when this is supposed to, you know, to be ended, but I'm going to try it anyway. So I sent her a message on Twitter and I said, Hey, look, I'm sorry. I've, I've got, uh, you know, I missed the, the, uh, the pitch party. Uh, but I've got this book and could I send it to you? And she's like, yeah, it sounds interesting. Go ahead and send it. So I did. Good. And 
yeah, I got lucky. You know, I just, I just got lucky. And then, uh, you know, a few weeks later, I got a, uh, an email from the acquisitions editor uh, at, at Pandemonium and said that she was had my book on her desk and it was next in line for her to read. And if she liked it, she was going to pass it on to uh, the CEO of Pandemonium, uh, Zara Kramer. And uh, if she liked it, then they would move forward with a uh, with a contract. And uh, and then uh, it was several months later, but I received an email from from uh, Pandemonium saying, congratulations on a great novel. We'd like to publish your book. And uh, so that was kind of the path. After 146 rejections, I thought "Ah, I've been vindicated, you know, Uh, but but I was I was. uh, that was basically my last straw. Uh, if Panda Moon rejected it, I was going to publish it myself and, yeah. you know, sell 15 copies of it or something like that. So yeah, I, but, uh, I, I got lucky. No, it's good. It's, it's very good. And a lot like there's action and there's internal conflict. I'm just thinking of the scene in the <laughs> sewer, which we'll get to, which was one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. There's internal conflict there. Um, so well, you've kind of you've kind of asked, answered my next question. I was just wondering if you ever wondered if Code Gray wouldn't get be published because of its content. But you kind of you kind of answered that already. Like if if that thought ever came to you, you know, if you ever thought about that. But I actually uh, I, it did enter my mind okay. a couple of times. Like ah, you know, am I doing something a little uh, overly controversial? Yeah. Uh, you know, are people going to shy away from it? But but I, I can't remember where I saw uh, a quote by some writer, and it was on online, on Twitter or something like that. And and uh, the author said people really authors really don't get successful by writing about safe things. They 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 take chances. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you could write a story about a guy who sells Bibles door to door and, and, you know, he's all good, but there's no, like you said, no conflict there. There's no, you know, uh, yes, it's a good wholesome story, but it's not a story people want to read. People want to read about conflict. They want to read about uh, your, your protagonist getting into a situation that they can't quite figure out how to get out of, you know, there's all that kind of stuff. If you don't take chances and, and, sometimes make your reader a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, it kind of pays off to make the reader a little bit uncomfortable. If you don't do that, then odds are the reader's going to be like, I've, I've read this before. I know how it's going to end. Why do I need to go to the end of the book? So yeah. that was, that was kind of my approach to it all. Good, good, good. Okay. When I remember it's uh, earlier on in the novel, um, the second murder victim ken copeland he gets murdered now he's a conservative radio host and he has a huge following and i when i read this part where you write don't do he does this to me benny he knows i'm about to do a reading and he starts to growl that's enough okay That's fine. He's a good boy. <laughs> so come on, dude. Come on. So these sentences where, so like I said, conservative radio host, he has a huge following, and you write, all the calls were screened before reaching the airwaves, and his screener didn't allow anyone 
who contradicted Copeland's views or the views of his audience. And I read that and I used to work as a uh, legal assistant in the prosecutor's office. And I just thought, you know, you take it down to the basics. You have a defense counsel, you have an uh, for the prosecutor. They present their case before a judge. In Canada, we have judge, you can elect judge or judge and jury. And that's why you have the equal squ- equal, equal squales. That's why you got the equal squales, Benny. You have the equal scales <laughs> of justice, okay? So, okay. so how can society move forward if we don't share opposing views, right? And if we only want to listen to what we want to hear, if we don't have that gray. Right, right. right? Well, uh, um, in the United States, there used to be a thing called the fairness doctrine that that was um, uh, a requirement for media, especially uh, broadcast media, to give equal time to um, both views both sides of a story in other words uh uh you know if you have one person on who 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 had uh, who uh kind of is, is promoting a particular point of view then you also have to give had to give equal time to someone who promoted the opposing point of view and and that's that's not exactly exactly how it was but that's kind of it in a nutshell you just you had to give equal time to both sides uh and the Ronald Reagan, uh, when, when he was in office, that was abolished. Uh, so uh, then, I mean, you you had no uh, requirement to, you, you could give just one side of a story and one side only. Uh, so now we have a, uh, you know, talk radio, it really exploded right around that time. Um, uh, and, and then these uh, uh, opinion TV shows on television uh, started popping up around that time. Uh, and they became what we call echo chambers. Uh, okay. It's just everybody just, you know, you're preaching to the choir uh, and, you know, everybody's hearing what they wanted to hear. Yeah. Uh, and if you didn't like what somebody was saying, you would find somebody who, who was saying only what you wanted to hear. And that's who you listen to. So instead of uh, the news being presented to the public um, uh, in a fair manner, you know, in a balanced type manner, uh, the people began choosing their own facts uh, as as opposed to, you know, having the maybe facts that they were uncomfortable with. Well, I don't like what that what those facts are. I'm going to listen to this person over here who tells me what I want to hear. And, and that has just grown steadily worse in, since the 1980s until we have what we have today. Yeah. But um, uh, I would much rather have, you know, a, a balanced conversation to where we're, you know, we're rational and we hear both sides and, 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 and we can do so in a, uh, a respectful mm-hmm. uh, uh, manner with each other as opposed to yelling and screaming. Uh, but uh, it's going to take some mighty big changes before we get to that. I yeah. think, and I agree. You know, if if if, if we we can't move forward as a society if we don't get the little gray, if it's all black and white, and that's kind of the basis for my book, Code Gray. Yeah. You know, yeah. is 
They're trying to eliminate the gray. You can't see the world in black and white until you eliminate the gray. Yeah, that's that's kind of the tagline for my book. So, um, yeah, if, if if things are only black and white, well, that gray area, that's that's where the truth lies. Usually is in the gray area. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you're right. You're right. We can't have a um, I don't know, a, a balanced society until yeah. we get back to that. I think. Well, I'm, I wrote this. If you're wondering what I'm doing, I wrote down. You said it was the fairness doctrine. I believe that was the name of okay. it. Yeah, it was wow. fairness. Uh, it was fairness something. I'm pretty sure it was the doctrine, fairness okay. doctrine. Uh, and and there's there's more to it than what I described, but that that was basically it in a nutshell. That that uh, media had to uh, be able to provide both points of view uh, in in a, in a story. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay. So there is camaraderie between the three FBI agents. You have Harry, you have Tony, and you have Bodie. Now, these three guys, I was wondering if they, how did you come up with them, whether they were based off of real people, because they, in this shows you're writing, are so real. Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't uh, necessarily base them uh, their personalities on anybody in particular. Um, uh, Bodie is the is the uh, protagonist, and he's kind of the serious one. And he's the elder statesman of the three. Uh, been around for you know a quarter century and been very good at his job. Uh, uh, Tony is the young rookie. Yeah. You know, a little little bit hot headed, and you know, kind of thinks he knows things. And Bodie's job is to kind of set him straight. Uh, didn't really, didn't really base him on anybody. I mean, I kind of had an image of what he might look like in my mind. Uh, but, uh, uh, as far as his personality, didn't base him on any, anybody. And then Harry is, uh, he's been an agent for several years, not as long as, as Bodie, but, uh, he's kind of a class clown, yeah. you know, he's, uh, he, uh, he's always cracking jokes. He's uh, a lot of fun to be around, not necessarily a good agent, but he's, yeah. Uh, you know, he's kind of fun to bear. And he's got these little ticks where he's always adjusting his tie, yeah. you know, kind of like a Rodney Dangerfield thing. <laughs> um, and and, and I, those three together, I think uh, because they're three different personalities, I think the blend makes uh, a, a really good synergy between the three of them. Um, they each bring their own strengths to the, to the group. Um, and uh, rather than have three people who acted the same and thought yeah. the same, which who wants to read that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I'd, I'd rather have somebody, you know, three people who are just as good, as different as different can be. Yeah. So, and I think uh, I, it, it seems like it, it worked for me the way I wrote it. Well, as you're talking, I'm remembering there's the scene where the three of them are sitting down in front of the, the cap, the captain. And I, I think it's mm -hmm. Tony's in the middle. And he looks and Bodhi looks at him and he looks the other side and Harry's looking at him like you go, you go tell the captain what's going on. You know, it, <laughs> it's yeah. those little things where it's just like, God, this is believable, you know? So again, yeah. with these three agents, <laughs> you know, I remember cause okay. I, I used to work, like I said, for the prosecutor's office and then in, so everyone knows in Canada, we have the Royal Canadian Mounted Police 
they have their own oversight. So what I worked at was at the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner, and that was totally for the municipal police officers. So we have like two police forces. And I remember that's where I learned that one of our police investigators, he used to be with RCMP, and he always drove the commissioner around and <laughs> always. And it, I started to think of whether that was a respect pecking order thing, because in your book, Tony is always driving Bodie around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and there, that's part of it. That's part of it. Uh, another reason is because Bodie is, he's old and tired and he just doesn't feel like driving. Uh, and, and another way, another way for the young up and coming agent to learn uh, quickly is to, hey, put him behind the wheel, yeah. you know, let him let him navigate in the car chases, let let him figure out where we need to go and how we're going to get there. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, being thrown in the lake to be taught how to swim basically yeah. is, is, is one reason why I put that. But. I, the main reason why Bodie doesn't drive is just because he's tired and he just doesn't like to drive. <laughs> <Get it. laughs> just, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, I, I have, I have my, my two sons are in their twenties and uh, you know, whenever we, I go to visit them, I give them the keys and say, here, you drive, you yeah. know, I, I'd much rather be driven around than yeah. do the driving myself. So yeah. Yeah, I okay. guess that comes with being old. Or yeah. something. <laughs> and uh, they're, those three, their dialogue like is so good. And um, do you, I was, do you think your dialogue is a strength? Because it is so good. Like you, you're through the dialogue, these three guys really come to life. So. Yeah. Uh, I've read a lot of books by uh, very, very well-known authors where yeah. the dialogue was absolutely horrible. Okay. And, and I would read it and think, this is not how people talk. That's it. And, 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 and I just, uh, um, I, would, I would have conversations in my head while I'm writing. And I would just, you know, people talk this way. They say this and they say, uh, and they say, mm, and they say, so at the beginning. So now we're going to go do this. And yeah, uh, little things like that. Um, people don't talk in clean sentences. They no. talk in broken sentences. Uh, and, and so I just tried, I would say that dialogue is one of my strengths. I, yeah. I think so. Um, I just like to have dialogue where that sounds like the way people actually talk as opposed to something that, yeah, I mean, I know, you know a lot of authors will say, well, I want them to, I want them to say this. I want them to say that. I got to make sure I get this information out. Well, I, I totally get that. Yeah. but make it come out in a way that people would normally say it, yeah. you know, make people stammer over their, over their own words, make people yeah. interrupt each other, uh, things like that. Um, and, and, you know, uh, especially uh, people who have a camaraderie together, who work together, they develop their own language with each other. A lot of times, I'm sure the people that you've worked with, you kind of had your own little way of saying things and, and little catchphrases and things like that, that all of you understood uh, that was almost like a um, a shortcut, a way of, of instead of going into a long, drawn out explanation, you had little shortcuts, little 
little catchphrases and things uh, that you learn from being on the job. And I've kind of wanted to put something like that uh, yeah. in, in the dialogue of this book. So. Well, it, it's excellent. It's excellent. And well, it doesn't you. come across as like a information dump. Like when you said how some authors say, yeah. I have to get this information in. Well, well don't give us an information mm-hmm. dump, you know, work it. Work right. out, right? <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, is there anything you think? Like, I know for myself, I always want to improve. Um, is there anything that you think of that you want to improve on, or w- what do you think? What yeah. I want to improve in everything. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that uh, early on, when I would submit Code Gray to publishers. And, and agents, uh, I probably had about four full manuscript requests, you know, which as a writer, that is a huge thrill. Oh my gosh, they don't want to see just the first three chapters. They want to see the entire manuscript. And uh, on at least two or three of those occasions, uh, when it happened, it, it, it was rejected. The manuscript was rejected. And the reason they gave was that my writing voice didn't come through. Really? They couldn't connect with my, yeah. Well, I actually used that to go back and tighten up my my okay. my, my voice, my writing voice. I tried to learn from it um, uh, because writing voice is it's really what keeps a reader interested is is the way you tell the story. Um, and, and and I always need to improve that. I, I don't want to be you know, I was trained as a journalist and it's, it's pretty much just the facts, ma'am. You know, just they did this, they did this and then this happened and then this happened. But you kind of. I have to embellish things as a writer. You're quite aware of this, I'm sure. You know, you can't just, like you say, do an information dump and say, here's this, 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 this. Those are the facts, the end. Uh, no, you have to embe- you have to embellish things. It's uh, a government and, and that, form. And, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted same way you. United States. United States, same way. Uh, but but it, in order to improve your voice, you've got to make it to where the reader uh, is uh, engaged in the story. And if they can't lock into your voice, then they lose interest pretty quick. Yeah. And that, that's really one thing I really want to improve on. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, I would like to share one of your scenes with the listeners. Okay. Okay. All right. This, these paragraphs, they, they really got me this and it's this dialogue. Um, all righty. And I'm so I'm going to read them, and I'm 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 wanting to know the why why you put this in. Now, come on, buddy. I can hear the hound dog outside. So let's see. Okay. <laughs> okay. So our readers know um, the FBI. They're investigating. They're at um, almost like a I don't want to say a trucking warehouse, but they're kind of at a warehouse because. A garbage dumpster, a dumpster has been dropped off and they're mm-hmm. following the truck and they're, the, they're now questioning the owners where this truck has been parked, this big truck. Okay. Okay. Actually, no, I'm wrong. That was a different scene. I'm just wondering here. Nope. Nope. This is the scene. This is the scene. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Benny. Okay. Lots of, lots okay. of, okay. Okay. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> How many times? Have you heard from these people that those who think differently than them hate this country? 
How many times have they said that everything was great in this country until somebody tried to put changes in place? Changes like taking prayer out of schools or allowing blacks to vote. That was before my time, the young man said. I don't remember any of that. The old man pulled another cigar out of his desk drawer. Believe me, this country has been going to hell a lot longer than everybody realizes. It started somewhere around 1776. It's always been a place where you had it rough if you didn't have money, and you're treated like royalty if you do have money. The kid then says, you're trying to stop these people from giving that message? The old man replies, who says I'm stopping the message? The old man asked, I'm doing the same thing these people are doing. I'm influencing the mindset of this country. Okay, and I was wrong. That's not, that's the, that's in the office. No, no, no. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's not at, that's not that's not at the dumpster place. No. That's that's in the skyscraper in Manhattan. Yeah, that's that happens. That's good. That's yeah. really good. Thank you, thank you. Basically, I want to know what made you decide. What made you decide? Like, are you you're you're reflecting points of view? Well, uh, this th- this conversation takes place between a an old man. Yeah. A very, very wealthy old man yeah. and uh, his very young college age assistant. Yeah. And uh, he, he has his assistant doing some very underhanded, devious, evil things. Yeah. Uh, and this this uh, conversation basically is is to help this this young, this kid understand why this old man is doing what he's doing. Uh, and, and, you know, he says, I'm doing the same thing uh, that these people are doing. He's talking to these people. Well, he's talking about the other uh, people in the media who are being killed. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the Ken Copeland, people like that who, who, who are getting killed, they're, they're affecting uh, uh, the mindset of the country. You know, it's the, you've heard the old saying, the power of the press. Yeah. That is what that's what the press does is it uh, it influences the mindset of of people within a, a you know a, a broadcast area so uh excuse me yep. and uh that's what he's doing he's explaining to to this young man that you know here's what i'm doing you know yeah. this this things didn't start going bad just now they've been going bad forever uh, ever since there's been a country i'm just kind of helping speed things up yeah so so that uh, this guy's kind of a shadowy, you know, uh, he, he's kind of deep in the shadows type of person, but he's a very important character. But. Oh, well, and, you know, you, you originally started writing this in 2005 and I, I'm reading this and I'm just I'm yeah. thinking about what we what I, I'm going to say, even though I'm Canadian, what I'm, I'm going to say, we all of us have have experienced. Right. And like I said, those paragraphs really, really hit me. Um, just, you know, what I have seen on TV, um, we get YouTube. So we get some of the um, opinion, um, political p- opinion, TV uh, channels. Um, right. And it, 
you know, I have this idea that in the United States, there are Democrats and there are Republicans and that they're polarized. And after reading that paragraph and reading your book, I am hoping that we can get that gray back. And I'm, I'm, I'm hope that's, is, that's what you're hoping for, isn't it? To kind of get that gray back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to force anybody to believe a certain way. Um, I, I, basically it boils down to, I just wanted to tell the best story that I could. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think that's a great story, uh, you know, letting kind of putting, holding up a mirror to our society and saying, okay, look, you know, there's no, there's no gray area anymore. Yeah. We're either over here on one side or on, on this other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and uh, another little spoiler thing, if you don't mind me nope. throwing out a little spoiler in, in, in the second chapter in the book, if you remember, uh, we introduced Bodie Anderson. He's in his apartment and he's watching a TV show. Uh, it's like a political talk show. And and this uh, the uh, the host of the show is talking to a priest. Right. If you're, do you remember that? And and, yeah. and, and he's talking to a priest and saying, you know, uh, why why is this country like this? And uh, it's as bad as we've ever seen it. What do you think? That scene actually happened. I, I saw that that that's where I came up with the idea for gray. Uh, there was a, a, I can't remember the show. I can't remember the name of the, the priest or anything, but uh, the, the host of the show was talking to this priest and he was like a, 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 like for the pastor of Congress or something like that. He was, he was involved with Congress and he said, well, you know, you have, um, uh, you know, you, the left and the right, you have Democrats and Republicans, uh, you know, Republicans are, are the conservatives and conservatives tend to see things in terms of black and white absolute you're either this or you're that you know if it's not if it's not this then it's this over here uh democrats seem to see things in more various shades of gray yeah and and you know yoel it may not necessarily be this over here it may not necessarily be that over there it's kind of maybe somewhere a blend of the two uh and that's where the idea of uh, hit me like, well, wow, why did somebody try to make it to where nobody thought in terms of shades of gray? Yeah. So that was that that scene wasn't was actually that actually happened. And that was the that along with the swift boat thing with John Kerry, that became the germ that grew into code gray. Wow, okay. So that leads me straight into my research. Like what what sort of research did you do? Um yeah, I'm I'm curious. Well, um, I believe it or not, I, most of the research I did was things like uh, assassination techniques. Okay. And, you know, uh, uh, how a weapon, a certain weapon uh, uh, behaves, you know, like uh, calibers of bullets and things like that. Um, I'm a big fan of Lee Child, uh, okay. who writes the Jack Reacher, the Jack Reacher series. And I've, I've seen a lot of his interviews online, and he says that your entire life is research. Basically, anything you've ever experienced in your life is research. So um, uh, seeing that priest on television many, many years ago, yeah. I didn't know it at the time, 
but that was research. Yeah. That was research. Uh, you know, the, the novel takes place in New York city. Yeah. Um, I, I have spent a total of six hours in New York city. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I went to, uh, for my job, I had to go to Connecticut, uh, several years ago. It was right around the time, uh, I was actually right in the middle of, of writing code gray and code gray actually was going to be set in Florida. Okay. Uh, but but uh, I had to go to Connecticut, and then a couple of people who were who were there with me said, "Let's go to New York City. It's only a forty-five minute drive." So we went, parked in New York City, and just walked all over Manhattan, uh, and uh, for a total of six hours. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was researching New York City. Uh, so a lot of the things that happened in New York City come from my memory of just walking down through the streets of New York. Yeah. Um, so. Research to me is just things that I've seen in my life. If I have to have something specific, like I said about uh, weapons or, uh, you know, like the, I, I mentioned manhole covers uh, yeah. in, in the book. Okay. Well, uh, I actually had to see what the manhole covers in New York City look like. Okay. Because, you know, because some of them have, you know, writing on them. Some of them have little, I don't know, uh, artwork on them. I had to figure out what they, what it was going to look like. So, I had to research that. I get online and you know Google images and things like that. So um, my research is is like a shotgun. It's just scattered all over the place. So so well, yeah. <laughs> well, even how they lift the manhole cover, like like I said, that was yeah. that was my. We'll get into that scene. That scene was awesome. Like just how they're lifting the manhole cover, and I'm I'm as I'm doing the questions, I'm thinking, no. You're not going to say to Benny, Benny, have you ever been down into a sewer? Because <laughs> right? it was just so believable. <laughs> okay. That's where it was. Yeah. But um, no, I get what you mean, though, about life is research. Um, my daughter and I, she's yeah. a nursing student, and she was telling me the story with this other nursing student, which, you know, it, I looked at her and I thought, I have to try to use this because it was just. Mm-hmm. You know, this poor, this nurse she knows is going out her door thinking, I'm going, okay, what type of avocados am I going to buy? And boom, <laughs> this guy drops down in front of her and is unconscious and stopped breathing. So she's just CPR. Wow. You know? Wow. <laughs> and I thought, I got to use that. Okay. <laughs> right. Like, I got to use that. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Right? You know? Yeah. Well, so, why okay. wouldn't you use something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she never ended up getting her avocados, which is part of the story. Right? Yeah, right. Right. So. Oh, wow. So we keep saying, I keep saying, referring to the, the scene in the sewer. Um, yeah. You use the five senses very well. And um, so Bodie is, our readers know, is on a chase and he's, he's He's, uh, I won't necessarily, he starts out, he's thinking, okay, this could be a possible escape route because of circumstances that unfold. And he go, they remove the manhole cover and he goes down and it's little things which make it so believable because he says he goes down and then he looks like, like I'm doing it. He looks up. You know, and he sees foreheads looking, foreheads looking down at him. Yeah, right. It, it's mm-hmm. just those mm-hmm. little things. And then he's in the sewers, and you write that he hears the womp womp 
of a car going over manhole cover. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. So when you're writing, I don't know about you, but I, I try to get this story down and I'm a pantser. And then at some point I think, okay, I can't remember exactly where everything is going. So then I start to look at what I've written and I plot. Um, and then I work on it some more. And when I feel comfortable, I give it to my editor. And then she points out to me that I have a door that never, there never was a door there before. Thank you, Pip. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm wondering what your process is like. Um, are you, are you just like, I always say fevered on the keyboard, smoke coming off the keys, getting stuff down. And then are you going back polishing? Are you a pantser? A plotter, you know. Uh, I, I I am. Uh, my, my method is uh, quite similar to yours. Okay. Uh, not, not exactly, but I am a pantser. Okay. With I mean, uh, card carrying, bona fide, you know, purebred pantser. <laughs> um, I I've tried you know outlining and plotting, and and uh, it just doesn't work for me because by the time I get to certain points in the outline, the story has changed. Yeah. You know, the story changes as you're typing it on the, on the keyboard. For me, it does anyway. Um, I start out with uh, just basically a little bit of an idea. Uh, like I mentioned before about the, you know, the Swift boat veterans and the, and the little the priests and talking about uh, shades of gray. I'll start out with that idea. And then I'll, I'll add, I'll just come up with what I call high points in the story. Okay. You know, there'll be something major event happening, you know, uh, a third of the way through the book. And then maybe halfway through the book or so, there'll be another major point story. And then towards the end, there'll be something. And then there's a, the, the finale. Yeah. And and pantser part of me comes in connecting those high points together. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, typically what I do is I will write. I'll, I'll do a, a flurry of writing. I, I will... Sometimes I've written 10 hours a day and do, you know, I mean, 4,000 words in a day. And then sometimes I struggle to write a paragraph and some days I don't write at all. But when I do write, um, I typically come back the very next day and kind of edit what I've written, uh, especially trying to find all the little typos and things like that. And then, um, and I'm also, I've had the situation where, oh, well, there wasn't a door there, you know, <laughs> last chapter. And now all of a sudden there is. I've had that happen. And thank goodness Heather Stewart will find it for me. Um, uh, she's very good uh, at doing that. Um, but I, I actually got that that technique of coming back the next day from, from Lee Child, you know, the Jack Reacher author. He says he does two steps forward and one step back, two steps forward and one step back. He, he'll he'll write a, you know his chapter or whatever one day and come back and the very first thing he does the next day is he'll read through that chapter and make any changes that he needs and then he'll write another chapter and then come back the next day and do that again so i kind of have a uh somewhat similar approach that he does uh but uh definitely a pantser i just i just I don't think I could ever outline a story completely and do it. It just does, it doesn't for me. It doesn't have an organic, real feeling. It's almost like you're you're taking stenography down. You know, you're you're just taking down notes as opposed to creating the story in your mind as you go. You know, uh, because I've had a lot of ideas of okay, I'm going to write a paragraph about 
a certain subject and this is what's going to happen in the paragraph. And by the time I get to about the third sentence, that paragraph is changing and a whole different outcome. And I kind of like, I like the, the feeling of that, man. You talk about sparking some creativity when all of a sudden things start flowing left and right. And, you know, like you said, a flurry on the keyboard kind of thing. That is a great feeling for me. Yeah. Well, even just when you said, you know, you'll have a day of writing for 10 hours. I'm just like, oh yeah, put on the coffee and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's yeah th- those are, those are few and far between, but, but I have had, them. I, yeah. I have had, uh, you know, long days uh, and I love those days. Yeah. You know, I'm almost, I'm not tired at the end of the, of the day like that. I'm energized because all oh, my story's going somewhere. So you're buzzing. Yeah. It's like you're buzzing. Yeah. 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 Right. So, right. You're yeah. in the zone. You're yeah. in the zone. So you got to tell before we started our podcast, you had mentioned to me about your writing shed. Thrill us. Oh, yeah. Tell us yeah. about your writing shed. Okay. Uh, I don't know why I, I decided to have this. Uh, I lived in Huntsville, Alabama, which is in the northern end of Alabama for, you know, 30 something years. Uh, and, and my wife and I moved down to South Alabama. We're, we're right on the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. okay. It's, it's just, uh, Southeast of Mobile, Alabama, near Pensacola, Florida is where we're located. Um, and the house that we bought down here, uh, it's a, your typical three bedroom house. Well, my wife works remotely okay. from home. Yeah. So we turned a bedroom into an office. And I thought, I've got to have somewhere to write. And I can't justify turning a spare bedroom into another office. Yeah. So uh, I also have, you know, yard tools, like a lawnmower and rakes and shovels and things like that. And I needed a place to store those. So we decided that I was, you know, we were going to have a shed built in our, in our uh, backyard. Yeah. And um, I took, I, I put up a wall. Uh, exactly in the middle of that shed and half of my shed is uh, storage for my my shovels and rakes and half of it is my office and I mean I insulated the walls and I've got windows and I've got a little air conditioner in here and I've got carpet on the floor and I've got a desk uh, uh, you know that I made I I write standing up by the way I don't know if you knew that or not but but uh, I've got uh, an adjustable desk that'll stand up you know rise up and down those are nice uh, yeah yeah it's very nice and so I've got I mean it's it's a neat little office it's uh eight feet by ten feet do you have a beer fridge in there for me do you have a beer fridge Uh, no I don't (laughs) I don't Uh, believe it I'm actually in it right now yeah yeah I'm I'm in the office right now right now so uh, uh somebody has suggested hey maybe you ought to get you a little fridge for i've got a coffee maker i've got a coffee maker that's you, you know because you know we gotta have coffee yeah you oh, gotta yeah. have coffee or or you're not a writer no, if, no you know if you don't drink coffee <laughs> so, yeah. yeah but uh it's it's my little home it's my Good. little home you know it's, it's out in the backyard so my daily commute is about 30 feet <laughs> i walk 30 feet out the back door so <laughs> that's good that's good Okay, Benny. Well, wrapping this up, my favorite question. If you bumped into Bodie in New York City, what would he say to you? Uh, well, I can tell you what he, I hope he wouldn't say to me. Yeah. I hope he wouldn't say you're under arrest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I don't know that that is a Great question. I mean, oh my gosh! I, it, it, if anybody should know Bodie, it would yeah. be me. Yeah. Um, 
he would either, if I literally bumped into him, he would probably be the one to say, excuse me. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, if, if he needed directions or I needed directions from him, and I bumped into him. He would probably point me in the right direction because Bodie's a nice guy. Yeah. He's yeah. really a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But just as long as he didn't say you're under arrest, I think <laughs> I would be fine with anything that he said to me. Good. Good. Anything Good. at all. So is there anything you'd like to add and where can people find you on social media? I am on Facebook, uh, Benny Sims, uh, same on Twitter at Benny Sims. Uh, I'm on Instagram, but I don't really post much on Instagram. I, I, I have like four pictures on Instagram <laughs> or something like that. So I, I just, I just don't do Instagram much. Yeah. Uh, it's basically uh, Twitter and, and Facebook are, are my two main, main things. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't get a, as much uh, mileage out of each one that I, that I should, but you know, with the, the life that I have right now, it's about all I can, I would love to be able to have a, you know, do a podcast or, or a blog like you do. When I just don't know how you have the time to do it. I mean, with a full-time job and doing this and, and writing, I just, you've got to have all kinds of energy. I just don't know how you do it. Well, Benny, that's why you got your questions. The time you got your questions yesterday. Okay. I totally understand that. Yeah. yeah. I, but, I get it. Yeah. But you know, this came out of, so we have the pandemic and we moved and we we left a a beautiful city so victoria is the capital of our province province the same as state yeah. so it's our capital city right. beautiful city lived there 20 plus years to a small town and it just i think it's because part of the pandemic people are staying inside and just it magnified a feeling of isolation. So right, right. I'm going to be totally honest. This came out out of my desperation. I thought I have to connect with people. Okay. And right, right. Um, I, I thought, well, and I thought, okay, well, that means you got to talk, <laughs> you know, you got to talk to people, <laughs> right. you know? So right. what can you talk about that you're passionate about? And it's writing. And I thought, okay, well, let's, let's try this, you know, let's try this. And it's, it's, bloomed and does something I never even imagined and now it's part of who I am right so yeah so yes, well you're you're well suited for it um, Thank you. Uh, you know the, the questions that you ask are not uh, the thing I'm impressed by but they're not your typical boring good uh, overused questions you actually dig in, into the subject I matter I try you know uh, and you kind of dig deep into a person's own psyche a little bit to, to, to get, you know, it's not, of course, you've got to have the, uh, well, tell us a little bit about yourself yeah. and, you know, what was your influence and all that. It, that. That's a typical question, but there are far too many other questions that are like, just like that, that people ask and, and you don't do that. And no. just the fact that you wanted to know, Hey, explain to me how this scene about the sewer came about, you know, <sighs> All that kind of that that is what a real question should be like Thank when you. you're interviewing somebody. Thank you. Thank well, you. well done. Thank you. Well, I hope. I think I saw on Facebook your your book too is 
going to be is in the process of being published with book two? Yeah, it, it is a it is not a sequel to Code Gray. Okay. Uh, uh, I actually started writing it in 2014. Right, uh, I started about a month after I finished Code Gray, and it was just a totally different story because I didn't expect Code Gray to be a sequel or, or I mean a, a series uh, at all. I just thought it'd be a standalone story. So I started writing a story about a, a serial killer. Oh wow! Which you know, I'm just telling everybody it's basically an autobiography, you know, of of myself of how I go around killing people. <laughs> oh, Warned so, me about your sense of humor. <laughs> but, oh, I don't do that as far as you know. Uh, no, uh, I started writing it, it and, and I originally called it uh, 52 okay. because it's about a serial killer who has been a lifetime loser. You know, he never got anywhere with his career and he's, uh, you know, his marriage ended in failure. His, his, uh, his son is estranged from him. Uh, um, and, and he has really nothing going good in his life. He considers himself a failure. So he sets himself, he, he's mad at the world. He's mad at the world. And he sets himself a, a goal that he thinks he can meet. Okay. So he sets himself a goal of killing one person a week for an entire year. Whoa. And that's why I called it 52, because 52 weeks in the year. Uh, the title is now changed. It's going to be called Mile Marker Zero. Ooh. And and uh, it it takes place all, literally all over the country uh, in the lower forty eight continental United States, um, uh, and it ends the last two or three chapters take place in Key West, Florida, oh, wow. and uh, U S Highway One uh, runs uh, north and south from the state of Maine all the way to Key West. And in Key West, it's, it ends at mile marker zero. Okay. And, and, and that, that comes into play in, in this book. Okay. So that's, that's why I'm calling it that. But it's a, it's a serial killer a thriller. It's got some humor in it. This is a serial killer who gets sick at the sight of blood. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, he's got all kinds of mental issues going on with him so it, it and it's basically it, it's told in first person you know code gray it's in third person um yeah. this uh uh this book is in first person told from his point of view uh so and there's twists and turns all along so we'll we'll see how well it how well it's received and um as far as the sequel to code gray i'm in the process of writing it now oh wow um I'm I'm about three chapters into it. I should be farther along than that. Uh, I've had some, uh, I don't know if you want to call it writer's block or, or what, but I've had, I've, I've struggled with, with writing this. Uh, but I'm here just recently. I've kind of started getting back in the groove. So hopefully I'll get this thing finished in, you know, a couple, three months and, and get that thing submitted. And we'll see if he can't get published someday. We'll see. Well, when does the second one come out? Do you know? I, I we don't know for sure. We don't have a, a, a firm date. Uh, I'm going to speculate it's going to be either late summer or early fall, maybe September, thereabouts, something like that. Of and this and year? that's a total get. Yes. Okay. Yes. It, it's in editing right now. It's, 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 been, it's already been submitted for editing. So um, our next step is to maybe have a cover made for it and you know finish up the editing and then an arc will come out so 
Well, I have we'll openings see. in November if you're interested in coming back on. Of course. All right. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. We'll, you got we'll, it. We'll, we'll, we'll touch base, uh, you know, uh, closer that uh, it comes for the book to come out and we'll, we'll set up a, we'll set up an interview. This is, it's been a lot of fun for me. me this has been great. Yeah. No, it's been <laughs> fun for me too, Benny. Okay. Good. Well, thank you. I'll see you later then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Benny.